Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. If you lived in Southern California for any period of time, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s and beyond, and you listen to the radio, you will recognize the name and voice of my guest, the legendary Sweet Dick Winnington, an original in broadcasting who has left his mark not only in the industry and on listeners, but had a major impact on a lot of individuals, including yours truly. I'll explain more in a moment, but first, Dick, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Ira. And I want to say, first of all, you are always on my mind, and this is true, and this would be easy to say, but I was just thinking a second ago as you were introducing, um, you are immortal, whether you know it or not, because you once used the line, and it was your line, I hear it all around, and have over the years, and it's in reference to Palm Spring, uh, as, as you used to describe it as the frozen 50s. Do you remember that? <laughs> no, I actually yeah. don't. You have a better memory than I do. That's, oh, that's yeah. excellent. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, want to, I want to share with our listeners first how we met, and then well, I want to talk about your career, but just, a little, just to kind of set the scene so people understand why we know each other. This goes back to the mists of time, but I was attending college, and I always listened to your radio show at that point on KGIL, which was in the San Fernando Valley in California, and I really enjoyed your humor and all of the things that you did on air, and I sent you a letter. It was typewritten, and it's dated. September 20th, 1966, and I enclosed some, yes, and I enclosed some handwritten jokes, and I mailed it off, and I'm in bed, just waking up, and I'm listening to your show, because you were in the morning at that point, and all of a sudden, I heard you deliver one of the lines. Now, you have to understand, at that age, to hear something you wrote delivered by someone that you admire and that's in broadcasting had a major impact on me at the time. And I was a nobody then. Of course, I'm a nobody now. But the point is, it really had that kind of impact. We got in touch, and obviously, we've known each other over the decades. But I just wanted to share that with our audience because I referenced it in the beginning, how you've had an impact on individuals, not just me. There's others, and I know about a lot of the others, that really point that out, that you have encouraged them, you've done certain things for them. So it's not just where there's ego involved in your case. You actually help people, inspire people. I don't want to get, it sounds like a, a, a tribute at your, at your funeral, but that's not what I'm saying. I'll accept it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but I, was, I, I, do, I, yeah, yeah. I do thank you for that. And I, what, I, I do thank you. Absolutely. And one other quick note that I wanted to make was when I moved to Las Vegas, and again, we're going back into the midst of time in 1978-79, I ended up being the Las Vegas correspondent for... Yes the Dick Whittington show. And it was great because I was able to do a lot of reporting and calling in on your show. And I was Larry Las Vegas. I, I'm sure some people may remember oh, yeah. that, the lounge lizard oh, right, who yeah. did all kinds of stuff. And even while I was in LA, I was calling in different voices as Howard Hughes. And here's one that nobody remembers, Louis Lomax yeah. and Mort Saul. Oh, yeah. 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 And Ralph Williams. <laughs> so those who are from California, Southern California particularly, will remember Ralph Williams. But the point is, we've had a long friendship. But I, I really wanted to get you on because you are an original, as I said in the opening. And I don't think you copied any style from anyone that I know of. And I know pretty much the history of radio. So how did you develop your unique approach? Or is it just you being natural? Well, it's a potpourri, as you know, in radio or in television. Um, you grow if you have anything going for you. 
and you listened to other people, as you did with me. Uh, Gene Shepard, out of Cincinnati and Philadelphia and New York, uh, was a great influence on me in that I liked the way his mind went. Um, we fortunately had the opportunity for me had the opportunity of meeting, and we did one of his uh, tone poems. And I won't go through all of that. But Don Sherwood, uh, KSFO San Francisco, uh, had a great influence on me and kind of mentored me uh, to become myself and not anyone else. And then KGIL, uh, there are others, but uh, Dave Garraway, for example, I learned how to sell on the air. And that, that, uh, that really did me very well because I had percentage deals at, um, at KGIL, for example. And I did, I did very well. I purposely uh, went into uh, radio in Los Angeles and for a long time, I was uh, selling Fuller Brush and cooking meals for people on pots and pans as I was selling along with dictionaries and encyclopedias because I couldn't get work uh, down here simply because there was a Dick Whitting Hill. And uh, naturally, people only hear half of what you say anyhow. So I had that problem, the problem being that uh, people were saying, well, you might have some talent, but the point, the point being is there was a witting hill in this town, and then they described the problem I just described to you. But a lot of influences. I met Whitting Hill, incidentally, uh, later on, actually interviewed him, and I think he's one of the better interviews I ever did. And it's one of the questions, who is your favorite person on the air? And it was me, and I couldn't have been... I couldn't have been highly flattered by anyone else in the world simply because that was Whitting Hill and Whittington, and he actually said that publicly, and that made me feel so good. But I became myself because I grew uh, as a person. Um, really, I haven't grown much. I hadn't grown much. Uh, yesterday, I discovered that uh, I'm now fully grown. <laughs> <laughs> just yesterday, okay. <laughs> now, it, it, it's just that you have a wellspring. You have a wellspring. Everyone listening uh, or not has a wellspring. And I was purposely leaving KABC, for example, and going to a, a, a suburban station the San Fernando Valley, although we're talking about a million people, KGIL, because I was extremely comfortable there. I gave them uh, the opportunity, um, and they gave me the opportunity, but the opportunity I gave them, I say, pay me what you can. And so the only restriction that I put on that is you don't bother me. You let me alone. And that was a gutsy. I knew it. Um, but I will always be grateful to the Buckley organization, uh, KGIL, uh, because KGIL out in the valley had nothing in the way of ratings or anything else. Uh, they were just uh, a music station. And that's really when I started to develop and started to gain confidence in myself, not by being anybody else, by being myself and, um, and accepting myself. And that was not only my growth in, in broadcast, but growth as a human being. I mean, I still had a lot of flaws, of course, and foibles, but um, that, that probably was it. When you started KJL, I always viewed that as your spiritual home, even though you went to many other radio yeah. stations, KFI, KABC, etc. But KGIL just seemed to fit you and the way you worked. 
Oh, absolutely. No, no doubt about it. I would come in in the morning. I was prepared by that. I mean, I had a, a pretty good idea of what I would like to do on that particular day. Uh, not well thought out, but just a, a fragment of an idea. I had a long commute, uh, 65 miles one way from Orange County. So I had a lot of time to think and listen to the news. And that, that of course, was very, very helpful. And so, you know, whatever I became was because of the fact that of that drive and of, uh, of the reception of KGIL, which was limited, so people kind of felt special if they ever heard of me outside of the valley. And that sort of thing happened. And that led to a lot of television and, uh, and, and other nice things that, that happened. And some, so movie, that would, that some, be about it. some movies, too. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm very lucky. But it was all off of the radio. Without radio, I would have done nothing. I was, Ira, you didn't know me that well, of course, at that time. Uh, I was a loser. I, I really was. And I was self-destructive, probably still am uh, to this point. I didn't have much belief in myself. And I, uh, I purposely hurt myself. I, it, it, I was masochistic uh, in that uh, I would do stupid things. I was a fighter once, you might remember. Right. That. Well, maybe you do, maybe no, you don't. No, I do, I do. And, yep. and that, that was okay. But I was getting hurt, I was getting beaten, and the better fighters that I was beginning to fight, um, it was <laughs> a question that I, I prayed just to get out of the ring alive. It, you realize that difference between amateurs and beginning fighters that uh, there's such a huge difference and these people are highly skilled much more skilled than me so i was back to uh, line one i suppose and i had really nothing going for me and then radio happened um i won't go through all that unless you want to hear it but uh that that would be about it i i thought about it because i knew i was going to be on with you and that would be about it. I don't exaggerate any of it. I try not to. Um, I try to be myself. And with me, I like me for the first time ever in my life. And over the last 20 years, and I think that's because of a lady that I have been with for over 25 years named Barbara. And um, so I feel very, very fortunate. That's a great story because you took us from the beginning before you got into radio, to satisfaction on your part in the last 20 years. And that covers quite a bit. When, when you were going up to the mic for the first time, now was that in Stockton or San Francisco when you first started to actually oh, no, professionally broadcast? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, it started at WVCH in Chester, Pennsylvania. Uh, I was doing nothing, as I said. I was a barker in front of a movie theater. <laughs> with a hat that was two sizes large. <laughs> Nobody could see my face. I was very, very introverted. I still am. And actually had a lot of panic attacks and that sort of thing. I was afraid of people. It was just very, very strange in my life. And my mother got me the job and because she happened to be engaged to a man who owned the radio station and she helped him out, etc., so they both hired me without any experience. And um, if it weren't for Joe Pine, the late Joe Pine, I think you, that, you remember that name. Sure, you? absolutely. Joe Pine? Yes. He, he was only uh, a couple of years older, I guess, than I am. But uh, 
he, for some reason, just took a liking to me as a, as a person, and I just absolutely loved him, and uh, and still do to this day. But he taught me how to how to speak. For example, he would make me run around the block, saying certain words, so to improve my speech, I had an impediment in that I swallowed my L's. For example, if I were to say Philadelphia, that was Philadelphia to me. He made me, for example, run around the block every morning I had to do this, and over and over, I would have to say out loud, people probably looking at me strangely, and just say, Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Llewellyn, Llewellyn. Uh, and then he got into the D's and the T's and the N's. So he was my education. Uh, and as I say, he helped me a great deal. I mean, I wasn't very good at that time. Uh, then I went to Dover, Delaware, and got, I, I think, a little better. I was Country Carl. <laughs> down there. <laughs> Country Carl. <laughs> <laughs> At 5.30 every morning, I would introduce Lefty Frizzell, who yes. was a, a big country star. Absolutely. But for some reason was stuck in Dover, Delaware, which was not a very big town, the capital of Delaware, but not a very big town. And he would come in just reeking of alcohol, and always two women who I'm sure was with him the entire night before. <laughs> and so it was up to me to to keep Lefty going for a half hour to <laughs> sing or anything because he was still out of it and would sneak uh, little pops from a bottle that he had in his back pocket. <laughs> so what I learned, you know, I learned about people, um, and 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 from there I went down to uh, I think it was Lumberton, North Carolina, where I was fired uh, again for the third time in in three tries. Then uh, I gravitated to Ohio, Cincinnati, Dayton, Middletown, uh, a lot of television there in Cincinnati mostly. And then I finally came out to Los Angeles. I couldn't get arrested the first time. Um, I'm back to selling uh, pots and pans and, as I said, fuller brush and what have you to make a living because by that time I was supporting people, a lot of people, um, three kids at that time and a wife, and living in a, actually what looked like an army barracks <laughs> in Culver City, and uh, it, uh, it it was tough. That, that was my first time in Los Angeles. I came back again after uh, losing a job in San Francisco, KSFO, for something I'll be doing, I have no idea, but... Um, and then finally, after two years, uh, I was accepted, and that's how the the term, as I call it, sweet dick, came about. I had to do something. There was a sweet Lou Wagner who played for the California Angels at that time. And for some reason, um, I just picked that up and uh, used it, and for a long time did not use my last name uh, because of the uh, the difference between Whitting Hill and and myself being so narrow, at least in, in name. So, no, I had, I had had experience before, um, but I, I, I obviously wasn't ready. I went to Stockton, I remember. I went up to Stockton, and there I became, I became known uh, just by being myself. And that, that I learned a great lesson in, in being myself. Stop trying to be everybody in the world, Steve Allen, for example, Dave Garraway, I tried, 
and a few others that I won't go into. Uh, but the point is that uh, I finally discovered it's okay to be yourself. And that's, I think, the difference between you and so many radio personalities or on-air personalities is you came to that revelation or that insight early on, as opposed to a lot of people who, yes, they're well-known in the business, but they're not really themselves. You, you can tell by just meeting them or listening to them that there's, they're not, you're not going to get the authentic person, but it's still entertaining. But you actually focused on authenticity probably before most people thought of that as a, as a positive. I guess so. I, yeah, I, I, I think so. I can't comment. Okay. Yeah. I, I wanted to mention also, because you mentioned Joe Pine, for some of our listeners who may not know, Joe Pine was a conservative talk show host and radio host yes. in Los Angeles, and his pet line was, go gargle with razor blades whenever he there would disagree. <laughs> so I always like to yeah. kind of fill in a little footnote occasionally when we mention a name that some people may not be aware of, which is, which is fine. Yes. You, you know, Joe, may, yeah, go ahead. may I just interject here? I'm sorry. I'm, no, go, go. Um, Good. Joe Pine, Joe Pine, many people perhaps did not know. And we traveled together looking for work together at one time. So I got to know him pretty well. Uh, Joe Pine couldn't sleep more than 20 minutes. And I'm not exaggerating. Always would have a glass of, or a cup of a warm milk. Uh, beside the bed so that he could uh, hopefully go back to sleep. And the reason was he was at uh, Guadalcanal in World War II and uh, was shot in the leg. The leg had to be removed and uh, the lower portion, I should say. And he was always in pain. He was always in pain. I mean, he wouldn't talk about it. He would grimace once in a while and you would know that uh, he was not feeling that good. But uh, I thought his career was remarkable in that he didn't feel sorry for himself. I learned of that only accidentally, and I knew him pretty well, of course. But um, uh, Joe Pine was a, was a real hero. He, he really was, not only in the radio industry, but um, in the war. And uh, so uh, Joe Pine, I hope, will never be forgotten. There would have been no Rush Limbaugh without a Joe Pine who started the whole thing. Yeah, you're right. That, that's what Joe Pine did. He started the whole talk show genre, and not just talk show, but political talk show or taking a stand in one direction or another as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're absolutely yeah. right. I, I was intrigued by your background because, and I agree with you, you know, you're a private person and you're, you're so much shy. Do you find that when you get behind the microphone, though, that gets put to the side and you are comfortable? doing stunts and humor and interviewing people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good observation. Thank you. I am uh, introverted, um, and I've always been that, and I suppose there are a lot of childhood reasons for it, which I won't bore you or your audience. But yes, the, the microphone, something happened to me, I, or happens to me when I, when I get up. I've done a lot of stand-up, um, and... I don't sometimes recognize myself. Who is this person doing this? And it is me, but it isn't me. It's not the real me. Um, uh, cute and clever, maybe, uh, but I could not be that as a private person and wouldn't want to be that. That would be obnoxious. But, but you're right, and I'm sure you know that. There's something happens to you. Uh, you don't want to disappoint people in being boring. 
as I am being right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. No, I, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about your life and career because not everybody gets a chance to hear from Dick Winnington, sweet Dick Winnington, over a long period of time. And so I, I'm very appreciative of the fact that you're taking the time to do it. Are you kidding? I'm flattered. Come on. You know what you're doing? You're, you're, you're building my ego even <laughs> even fatter than it is. (laughs) (laughs) So I agree with you in the sense that, because you talked about uh, being authentic, being yourself, but there's two of you, just as there's two of me and two of anybody that works the microphone, in that you're one way in person or in real life, and it's a slight change when you go behind the mic or in front of the camera, but it's still you. So I guess you have to accept the fact that Sweet Dick Whittington is both of those type of people. Yes, 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 yeah, that's a good observation, too. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I want to talk to you about creativity, because it's not just the the behind-the-mic stuff, but you also are thinking and writing about bits and stunts and pieces of humor, observations, etc. So, from that point of view, what is more satisfying to you? Is it the writing and thinking, or is it the actual performing and broadcasting? You hit it right with the A, uh, the writing and thinking and never knowing how it's going to work out. I never had a thought. For example, when I married the um, Queen Mary to that uh, tugboat down in, <laughs> yes, right. the bay in Long Beach. Um, you know, that was so absurd. But I, I think the, uh, the creative process in anyone, no matter what they do, is 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 magic. I mean, I think God made a lot of mistakes with us, and I blame him personally. But, <laughs> or her. Okay. Yeah, or her. Or her. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> In her, gay, straight, it doesn't matter. But the, the thing is that um, I, I love the challenge. I love the challenge uh, of, uh, of hopefully everything working out the way I really didn't imagine. I just had no idea how it was going to work out, but I loved that. That's what was exciting about radio, that I never was that good in television. I just I just couldn't do what I wanted to do. I had to go through too many people to get the simplest thing done. I had done by that time maybe three or four television pilots. I, I don't know, one of which I wrote, which also failed, because it had to be pre-written, uh, you had to go in with a cast, a crew, a director, just to do what I could do on radio every day if you had any kind of an imagination. So the creative process, I love that. I mean, I just absolutely, I love it to uh, to this day, uh, just by virtue of the fact this will seem weird to you. It's certainly weird to Barbara, but I talk to myself out loud. And <laughs> I <laughs> You know, if, for example, somebody comes to the door, uh, whatever they're doing, coming to my door, selling me something or uh, picking up a package that maybe I've forgotten. I'm thinking of something the other day. Um, I look out and see who it is. And then in my mind, I prepare what I'm going to say to this person. And um, I say to myself, all right, how polite am I going to be? <laughs> am I going to try to be cute? But I'm, I'm, I know what I'm going to do, uh, even if it's nothing. You know, sometimes the gardener will ask me about a bush, and <laughs> I've prepared a monologue. Exactly. To answer. Exactly. 
it keeps the brain fresh. So that, that makes perfect sense. The other thing, too, that besides the creative process, it's my contention that humor seems to be a connective tissue for like-minded people, regardless of their economic status, education, or political position. Do you agree with that? In other words, you could meet someone that you have never met before in your life, but if you have a, each have a sense of humor, there's an immediate connection. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You're absolutely correct. Yes, yes. I was just going to say, you've had all of that experience, so you certainly would understand that. Yes, and I think that when you are broadcasting, whether it's KGIL or the other radio stations in Los Angeles, I think that that's, you're connecting, it's a one-way one because it's radio, but you're connecting with like-minded people who appreciate your humor and your delivery of humor, and I think that forms the basis of a relationship with the audience. Mm-hmm, 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 yeah. Uh, but the problem there is so many think that they know you and will then verbally maybe take advantage of you by that uh, will present an idea that maybe I don't think is such a great idea, but I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm really not in the business of doing that. And sometimes it, it becomes a little tedious. Right. Um, uh, and, and, and I don't mean that in an unkind way. It's just that uh, I don't really uh, do other people's material well. So therefore, I don't steal anything. Or I'm, when I started, I was stealing jokes from everybody. But uh, the point is that uh, now I couldn't possibly do that and would be such a disservice to them. Have you thought about writing a book? Oh, Ira, that's kind of you again. And this is the truth. I would, uh, I would not lie to you. Uh, I have written two books, and I could have gotten one published. Um, I won a contest on the Internet uh, for a short story, and I was beginning to think that, man, I can do this. And then I did it. I mean, I've actually sat down and wrote two books. I read them maybe two or three weeks afterward. They were completed in my mind and edited. And they were just, and this is true. Nobody else told me this. I didn't submit any of this. I said to myself, this is ordinary. Why would anyone want to read this? And why would I want to have it published? And the only reason I could think of was my ego. My ego wants to write a book. Whether you like what I'm writing about, that doesn't matter. If I'm not writing a good book and, and, uh, one of my favorite writers, John Updike, you may remember the sure. Run Rabbit series. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was great writing. And, and of course, the rest, F. Scott Fitzgerald, I thought was marvelous when, when he could describe a scenery and you were right in the middle of it. You were right in the middle of it, right in the middle of the conversation. And I couldn't do that. So to answer your question, that was a long answer. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. But um, I was thinking, I, just, I was thinking more in the lines of a memoir or autobiography rather than fiction yeah, or right. something else. No, I, I, I really don't. And I mean, again, I, I thank you for that. But the point is that I enjoy this. I'm, I'm sitting here talking to a person that I know and I've liked, and I've obviously liked for many, many years. We haven't seen each other. We haven't talked to each other. But I think we trust each other. And, and uh, we, we perhaps probably would give more of ourselves to each other, as you did just prior to this call. And, and so, therefore, I'm better at this than I am at writing. Uh, writing jokes and stuff like that, yeah, I can do that. Uh, that. That's not the problem. But writing good literature 
I'm just not good enough. And, and so that answers the question. So you keep busy these days, and since you're not going to, at my suggestion, write a memoir or autobiography, do you pay attention at all to the world of radio at this point? It's changed so much, obviously. No. And we should point no. out that you were inducted about 20, I forget how long back it was, into the Pacific Pioneers Hall of Fame, I think is what they called it. I don't have it in front of me at the moment, but I came down for that, and you and several other people were on the panel, and I just was delighted that they recognized you. But do you listen to radio and critique air personalities? No, no, because up here, you know, that would be uh, that would be very unfair, and you can't compare them to uh, New York, Chicago, uh, Los Angeles personalities. They're not there yet. Uh, radio up where I live on the on the Central Coast uh, is nothing more than uh, segue serenades uh, and and back announcing. And, and that's about it. Right. I, I listened to one station because a friend of mine, who's now dead, unfortunately, everybody I know, by the way, outside of you, this is why I go on so long here. I, I have nobody to I love talk it. to. That's fine. I love it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's true. But um, it, it's changed my life in that. I now get up in the morning and I immediately stand in front of the bathroom mirror. I tell myself some bad jokes. And after each one, I slap myself in the face <laughs> and then write my monthly alimony check to my ex-wife. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and that's about what I do. <laughs> do you have... no, I, I miss uh, Barbara can't stand me, of course, and I'm boring to her. You know? <laughs> well, we're going to have her listen to this, uh, uh, this conversation <laughs> so she can, give, she can give her critique of it. So, <laughs> Do you have any regrets, any particular regrets in terms of the on the radio side of things, not necessarily personally, but is there any decision you made that looking back in hindsight, you should have done this instead of that, that type of thing? I thought about that. And that's uh, another excellent question. Yes. I've done some stupid things I, to most people I have, but to me, they were right at the time. I hurt a few people. I wish I could go back somewhere because as I say, everybody's dead to me and say, I'm sorry that I said that to you. I should not have said that, or I should have been more patient, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, you, you, you think about that. I've quit jobs on the air where I was making a good six-figure income just because, for example, when KFI decided to switch in desperation to top 40, uh, I had a contract, and I could have sat there and just uh, introduced whatever. And, uh, and, and and made the money. But the money wasn't the big thing with me, ever. I never thought about that. I, I had an agent, yes, later on. But I, I didn't work for money. And I forgot myself. You know, I forgot that here I am, supposedly, uh, a grown adult man, uh, sensible, hopefully, responsible. So I've, I've, I've done that on a few occasions, just walking off the job, apologizing to the audience, saying, I can't do this. This is not what I do. And I wish my successor, whomever, um, the best of luck. I wish I hadn't done that. I was a little overly dramatic. And then <laughs> I would go home, realize what I had done, and burst into tears. <laughs> yes, that would be the natural reaction, of course. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, so you have regrets. I, I'm sure you have them. Sure. And do you want to tell me about them? No. <laughs> you go ahead. You go ahead. I'll get them. <laughs> I'd have to go back every year for the last 30 or 40 years to list my number of regrets on a lot of levels. But <laughs> the uh, what you were mentioning earlier that, you know, you had insecurities, you were feeling low, like you were a loser, and yet... You were able to do what you did over the decades. And to use a cliche, talent will out. In other words, your talent uh, subsumed your insecurities and your feelings of inadequacy, and you were able to succeed despite how you felt about yourself. Yeah, yeah, I I, I guess you're right. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, but... uh... Yeah, I, I suppose I should give myself some credit. Yes, I would think that so. You, got, you, you know, people get tired of listening to people and their woes. Professionals, I'm talking about. You read Facebook, for example, uh, some of the uh, the quotes from from uh, well-known celebrities, politicians, and what have you, and you think to yourself, at least I do, that uh, what are you complaining about? I mean, really, you've had the best of lives so many of these uh, movie stars, for example, television stars, start to complain. I could give you examples. I've been on sets where I've watched uh, people get involved in silly arguments. Uh, I didn't only because I didn't know what the hell it was all about. Uh, you know, I was there as an actor, and uh, I'm not a great one of those, so I really had no, no uh, real reason to get involved. But uh, feeling sorry for yourself is, is the worst thing you can do. And, but even worse is telling your PR person uh, the, your problems and then him or her publishing them uh, on the Internet or in people, etc. Uh, and that, uh, that, that's what bothers me. It's always bothered me that, uh, you know, you, we don't realize how lucky we have been. I have felt sorry for myself. I mean, I'll be, I'll be the first person to... Say, I love feeling sorry for myself. (laughs) It's all. But I realize nobody really cares. You're right. They don't. It's your problem. Keep it to yourself. (laughs) It's absolutely true. Do you find, or do you, this will be my last question, though. Are Are you surprised when out of the blue you'll encounter someone that you don't know, but they know you in the sense of, again, because of your career? Does that, that, that happens, I'm sure, either you'll get an email or you'll get something mm-hmm. online or maybe even at the grocery store and they'll hear your voice and say, wait a minute, are you sweet Dick Winnington? Yeah, that is the highest compliment. That has happened at a grocery store. And that was, that may be the, the greatest thing that's ever happened. I couldn't believe that this woman said, I know your voice, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that, yeah. That, that's nice. It's lovely to be recognized. I remember one time I was having dinner with some people at the uh, smokehouse over in Burbank, and uh, this woman and her party came in and sat table across uh, from us at our table. And she started talking about a bit that I had done that morning, and um, it went on and on and on. And I'm listening and I'm smiling. And I did the dumbest thing anybody who who claims that he's a modest, humble person, I said, thank you for telling that story. That was me. 
<laughs> everybody at their table looked at me <laughs> and just kind of turned aside and got back to their own conversation. Didn't acknowledge anything. So I sat there, embarrassed in front of the group that I was with, <laughs> wishing that dinner was over. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the challenges of of not only being famous, but your voice is distinctive in in that there aren't, I I can't think of anybody that sounds like you or that you sound like them. So if you were a listener, you would always recognize your voice even in the grocery store. No. Or we should hang out more often. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do it. It's been too long. (laughs) Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been the legendary Sweet Dick Whittington, an original in broadcasting who has left his mark not only in the industry and on listeners, but had a major impact on a lot of individuals, including yours truly. Hey, Dick, thanks for being on the show. Well, Ira, thank you so much for having me. I really, I have enjoyed this. And I've done a few of these, and I'll be honest with you, I haven't enjoyed them because you do something that many people who have podcasts, I've noticed and been a part of, they don't prepare. Uh, you have to prepare. You have to know where you're going. You knew where you were going when you, when you uh, asked the first question. And I really appreciate that. I really do. It made my life far more interesting, and everything was positive. And I love that. <laughs> great. That's a great way to end it. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.